people across the country, actually around the globe, have been focusing on nurses this past week. Maybe you noticed a story in the newspaper or on TV. The World Health Organization observed this past year as the year of the nurse and midwife, with a special focus on nurses this past week. We think about nurses a lot around here. It's so obvious to us, but especially so during the pandemic, just how critical it is to have the frontline care nurses provide. Our guest today is Syl Trepanier. He's in senior leadership at Providence, and he's a nurse. We asked him to tell us a story that says something about the profession. I recall one particular incident. It was on one of our COVID uh, unit way earlier in the pandemic. It was this uh, elderly gentleman with uh, advanced uh, dementia, and he was COVID positive. Now, due to his uh, cognitive impairment, he just couldn't follow directions, kept on walking out of his room, was not very steady on his feet, would uh, constantly call, uh, and then once the nurse would get into the room, you know, forgot about why he called, didn't even know he called, you know, and, and the list goes on. So just imagine that frail elderly man staring, looking into space, looking lost, crying, but crying silently, alone, by himself, with the exception of the nurse, caring for him, going in and out. And she had to spend most of her shift redirecting him. And I mean like constantly redirecting him. Please be careful not to drip over this side table. Please call us if you need anything. You know, having to constantly remind of him, pulling him away from other patients and from her duties, other duties maybe. I mean, completely consuming her time. She was emotionally and physically exhausted by the end of that day. A day that normally she would be extremely exhausted uh, with the demand of this type of patient in addition to other patients that she has to care for. But now if you superimpose to that, the gravity of, of his uh, symptoms, his uh, clinical conditions, and the fact that he was at great risk. So she was also in this room spending a fair amount of time with him because she was concerned about him. And at the end of the day, uh, she was in tears. She was in tears doing her job practicing what she loved to do most, and yet was completely exhausted. We had an amazing charge nurse on that particular unit who had uh, implemented a process where at the end of each shift, she introduced the huddle, and we had just started to introduce the concept of letting go before you go, where every team member had to uh, share that one thing, that one thing that uh, made you smile while you were on your shift. Uh, interestingly enough, this particular nurse uh, talked about the moment when uh, during all the chaotic stuff that was going on during the day, when she actually connected with her uh, dementia patient, where she actually brought in a piece of equipment in and was able to connect 
the patient FaceTime with his niece. And the patient recognized his niece and was just ecstatic, stopped crying, just started smiling. It's almost like if life was back in him for that moment. And the nurse just kept on describing the joy, the fulfillment that she felt in that particular moment. And she was crying again. She was crying for a very different reason. And you could just see all the stress completely melting away. That day, we noticed how the team felt, you know, connected, energized, despite dealing with so much. You know, it's one of those moments that just brings you back. We're so lucky to be nurses. We're so lucky to be able to make such a difference, even if it was just a minute for that day for that particular patient. Connecting with their patients one person at a time. We're talking about nursing on today's Hear Me Now podcast. I'm Sean Collins. It's amazing what you learn during a crisis. The pandemic has made it obvious just how crucial it is to bring science to the bedside. And that role, more than any other, belongs to nurses, careful observers, interveners in moments of crisis, educators, companions during illness, when people feel less themselves than at any other time. Nurses are there to call us back to wholeness, to remind us of our humanity and our value. The crucial link between technologically sophisticated medicine and patients and families, linchpins to health. On today's program, what the pandemic has taught us about the profession and what we still have to learn. Stay with us. Syl Trepanier is the System Chief Nursing Officer for Providence St. Joseph Health. In this position, he serves as the voice for nursing at the most senior executive level, representing nursing practice for 38,000 nurses in 51 hospitals and more than 1,000 clinics in seven states. He earned bachelor's and master's degrees in nursing from the University of Montreal, and he holds a doctorate in nursing practice from Texas Tech University Health Science Center. I'm so pleased to welcome you back to the podcast, Sil. Glad you're with us. Thanks so much for having me. I just caught myself. I almost said that we're at the end of a pandemic. I think we all hope that's true, but more than a year into it, what have you and your nurse colleagues learned from this experience? Boy, like you, I wish I could say where it's all behind us, right? There's a lot of hope, though. Uh, so, so we are talking as if it's it's certainly in the rearview mirror, uh, to to a great extent. I don't want to uh, undermine and minimize the fact that it's there. It's still not easy for many nurses, uh, particularly at the bedside. But it's nowhere near what it used to be. So, um, so, so in a way, even uh, even our practicing nurses are feeling very different. We don't have the the struggle uh, that we had uh, a year ago. So that feels much better. And the fact that we have a vaccine now, and we have 
so many people who have been vaccinated. Uh, it's, so there's that adds to uh, to the hope. Boy, the lessons learned. We had so many, uh, so many lessons uh, learned. I mean, if anything, we're definitely going to uh, approach how we prepare ourselves for uh, for disaster. I, I, you know, I would tell you, I'm uh, I'm an ex ER nurse, and I've spent uh, a fair amount of time planning and preparing for disasters. Uh, led many disaster preparedness lessons and and storyboards and practices from many healthcare systems. None of the exercises we ever did panned out to be as uh, anywhere near what, uh, what we just went through over the last 12 months. Can I ask what was different? Was it the, the time scope or was it the fact that it was so overwhelming that everyone was involved? I think it's both. It's, it's one, the intensity, you know, when you prepare for, uh, for emergency preparedness and you do those drills, you, you pressure test your system in many different ways. One of those ways that you pressure test your system is through capacity. I mean, I would argue that it's almost impossible to pressure test capacity in real life the way, the, the way that we were pressured. So the capacity is definitely something that was way beyond anything that I had ever imagined. So from that perspective, I, you know, I don't know that we could have prepared. Uh, we, we just didn't know what we didn't know. And so today uh, we know that when we're talking about, you know, pressure testing our capacity, it's going to be way beyond what we used to. So there is that. Um, and, and you also mentioned, um, so it's the duration. You know, we went into this uh, day one uh, with the mindset of a sprinter. And uh, little did we know we were entering the longest marathon ever. Now, I, I am no runner by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I do know that that's a bit of a recipe for disaster because you can't keep that pace uh, that long. That's one of the biggest lessons I think that we've, uh, that we've learned here. So how does one prepare differently? How do you? Well, uh, I would say that uh, some of the lessons learned uh, definitely on the supply chain side uh, as it relates to uh, PPE, uh, personal protective equipment. We're going to be managing our inventory very differently moving forward. Uh, the whole supply chain is still, you know, fairly broken. Uh, it'll, it'll get back to, you know, normalcy eventually don't quite sure exactly know when that's going to be but it's it's not tomorrow that's for sure but when it gets to that point uh, even today we are managing our inventory very differently and we're very keen and aware that uh, what it feels like to come close to being completely running out of and 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 what can we do differently so i think that so i know we will prepare differently from that perspective we're already seeing uh, some uh, partnership with suppliers, some partnership uh, with some, you know, state organization as well in, in certain state where we practice, where we're going to be managing the, those inventory very differently. I think the part that's uh, still very perplexing to me is from a resource perspective. On a good day, it's sometimes challenging to find the right amount of the appropriate nurse to care for the patients on, in an acute care side. 
any acute care nurse leader would tell you that somehow somewhere there's a unit where they're challenged with that so the nursing shortage is real on a good day imagine when you're stressed the way we were stressed it's just uh, put under a microscope for us a problem that was right in front of us and we're going to have to look at what i would call our workforce planning or um, the way we prepare our nurses and as equally important how many nurses we need to have uh, at any given time, we're going to have to look at this very differently. Hmm. You know, Celine, with all of those stressors and all of those unknowns that declared themselves, still the nurses in the industry and certainly at, at Providence acquitted themselves really well. Earlier this year, I talked to two of the nurses who cared for the first COVID-19 patient in the U.S., at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett, Washington. Andrea Leedy and Robin Addison described for us the, the training that they had done in preparation for an event like the pandemic outbreak and the precautions that they were able to put in place and the humanity that continued to be demonstrated even as they cared for their patient, you know, covered in precious PPE. Here, uh, Robin explained to me why the patient's treatment room had an observation window for observing the nurse. When you're dealing with high-consequence infectious disease, it's really important that donning and doffing your PPE is done properly, carefully, and under controlled circumstances. They discovered that in Texas during the Ebola outbreak in 2015, one of the things that they discovered is that the nurses that got sick did so because they'd contaminated themselves somehow. They either touched something or touched themselves when donning or doffing their PPE, or they, they just got contaminated. So because of that, we have a person whose job it is to watch the nurse in the room and number one, make sure that they're safe because the PPE that we wear for something like Ebola is very hot and very uncomfortable. So you have issues with, you know, heat exhaustion and things like that you've got to watch for. But additionally, they make sure that they're not brushing up against the patient or against equipment to contaminate themselves. At Everett, did you have any instances of self-contamination? No. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're very proud of the fact that we had no instances of contamination and nobody got sick with that one patient. That's really great news. Yeah. That's Robin Addison speaking with me a couple months ago. She coordinated the uh, interdisciplinary team charged with biocontainment ev evaluation and specialty treatment at the Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett, Washington. She was one of the nurses who took care of the first COVID-19 positive patient in the U.S. I really recommend, by the way, the conversation with her and her colleague, Andrea Leedy. Um, you can find it on our website at um, hearmenowpodcast.org. My guest this hour is um, Syl Turpanier, the Chief Nursing Officer for Providence St. Joseph Health. Syl, certainly one of the things that declared itself during this pandemic were, were challenges, burnout, PTSD, things like substance use. How are you all 
dealing with that? How are you processing that? How are you making changes for the future? Yeah, I really appreciate that question. I mean, this is real. It's It's been a challenge. It's been a challenge for, for nurses. And meanwhile, meanwhile, they've showed up everywhere you know, to the best of their ability and, and at a really impressive pace. You know, they're feeling, they're feeling it as they should. And, uh, and self-care is really, really super, uh, super important. And, and for that reason, we're creating a state of emergency within Providence for people to understand, and, and not just for nurses, but to all caregivers, providers, and nurses. It's just that nurses happens to, to be, uh, in addition, to be at great risk for burnout, at a greater risk for suicide. And uh, I don't want that on my watch. Nobody wants that on their watch. It would be, uh, would be really, uh, really sad. So a few things uh, that, uh, that we're doing uh, for our nurses, and, uh, and I'm going to preface by saying that I know it's not enough. It's not enough yet. So we're constantly thinking about what else can we do. I think the most basic important thing that we can do for each other is to be present, uh, to create the space for everyone to feel comfortable sharing their feelings and support one another. See, uh, showing up with compassion, demonstrating active listening is the best starting point. We don't want to jump to a solution mode because everyone's needs is very different. Particularly when it comes to burnout, it's, it's a very personal thing. We've been uh, inspired by a well-being model that was uh, published by uh, two authors, Shenefelt and Noseworthy. It was in 2017, and they described a model where there's seven key drivers that uh, influence the well-being of individuals. We've uh, developed a uh, multiple resources to assist nurses in dealing with. Uh, the day-to-day -day stress and obviously COVID compounding and adding an additional stress to their already stressful uh, environment. And uh, this is this is a resource that we've actually made available to uh, to everyone. It's uh, you can access it through providence.org under caregiver resources. Uh, for instance, you can rate your stress level and depending on where you are on the scale can guide you to certain self-help interventions that you may want to, uh, to reach out to. As a virtual calm room, uh, self-care activities. Uh, it's uh, also access a very important site called Work To Be Well. Work To Be Well is a uh, website that's powered by our Wellbeing Trust, uh, which is an anti-stigma campaign for suicide. Has uh, tools for clinical resources, and, uh, and this is the piece where we still have a lot of work to do. And we can expand on that if you want to. And then the other, the other component is specifically for nurses and, and physicians. And it's about uh, an assistance program where they can uh, access help, individual help. Uh, we've also have an enhanced uh, behavioral program that's, that we just launched this summer. And we're just about to uh, announce the launching of a really cool program called No One Cares Alone. Uh, it's a campaign that we will be launching across our entire health system. Um, 
This is a uh, this is a program that we piloted in our uh, Oregon region. Um, really grew organically. If you could just uh, imagine a group of um, subject matter experts, particularly in the uh, from a behavioral health science perspective, that uh, that you have access to as a uh, as a leader in the organization, where you can tap uh, into those resources and they can help you assess uh, the pulse of your team, the health of your team, and then develop a plan together uh, in the spirit of making sure that we're all in this together, that no one cares alone. So it's approach from a systemic perspective and from a leadership perspective at first and really seeping uh, into into the organization. And what uh, we are going to be doing this time, which I'm really excited about, is instead of telling our leaders, here's a program that you have access to, we are going to resource it in a way that we're going to be calling. We believe we have somewhere around 7,000-ish individual that are leaders, physician leaders and the likes. There's going to be someone that's going to, be going to be calling them, each and every one of them individually. And the conversation looks like this. So, hey, Sil, I'm a member of the such and such program, and I'm calling you today. Number one, how are you? How are you doing? How are things going? And then once we figure that out, then we've been able to help me put my own oxygen mask on first. Then we talk about my team. And we talk about how to best assess my team. And we talked about how to create the space for my team to tend to their own needs and making sure that they're all okay uh, and, and, and all of that good stuff. And, uh, and then also identifying the right resources. And that's what it's all about. So it's all of us reaching in to ensure that we demonstrate that not only do we say that we're all in this together, but we are figuring out a way to be in this and to live this together. So what I'm hopeful that you're hearing from all of this is we're really targeting the bedside nurses with tools and also our leaders who take care of our bedside nurses uh, so, that, uh, so that they can be, uh, so we can wrap our arms around them, right? One of our, one of our, Our promise at Providence is know me, care for me, and ease my way. What a better way to ease people away, but to wrap your arms around them and and figuring out with them what's bothering them uh, today so that we can um, ease their way and uh, they have less and less of a feeling of burnout. That's our ultimate goal. So I want to play a piece of tape for you. It's from an interview that um, William Wan did with CBS News. He's the national correspondent covering healthcare for the Washington Post. And um, as you well know, the Washington Post Kaiser Family Foundation poll recently came out with some pretty alarming numbers about um, frontline healthcare workers. Uh, they pulled 1,327 people who deal directly with patients. The sampling error here is plus or minus 3%. Half are anxious about work. Two-thirds say they're burned out. 
equal number, two-thirds, say the pandemic has taken its toll on their mental health. Many of those say they haven't sought mental health help because they're too busy at work. Let's listen to William Wan, and then we'll come back and talk. What she was saying is a lot of these um, health workers, they're talking about this feeling of betrayal from the public. You know, they sacrificed so much during this pandemic to save, you know, these people's lives. And so you have this clapping, you know, we all remember the banging of the pots and the hero worship early on in the pandemic. And then, you know, in subsequent months, you saw these, the public just swath, wide swaths of it, refusing to wear masks, take basic precautions, mm-hmm. even if it would spare healthcare workers from like one more traumatic death, one more family, they have to kind of walk through the pain and suffering of, of the, losing someone to the coronavirus. So that kind of betrayal, and it, it, I think that is motivating a lot of this um, this kind of exodus from the field. The other thing is that, that she and other psychiatrists brought up is, you know, when we talk about doctors and nurses as as heroes, we're kind of like putting them up on a pedestal, like the the care that they're giving is a one-way street. Whereas, you know, we should really be thinking about health as, you know, the healers need caring as well. You know, it's not just a one-way street. There has to be caring for the people providing that. Healers need caring as well. Absolutely. I like how he, uh, how he puts this. And, you know, when we all have responsibilities in society, right? So my responsibility as a nurse is, you know, when you, um, is to help you maintain your, your health and to teach you and to educate you and to, uh, to prepare you uh, and to, um, to accompany you uh, in, um, through your health continuum. And, um, and, and at the same time, um, I, as an individual who receives care, and if I put myself into, uh, into a patient, because I have been a patient and or I will be a patient tomorrow, um, you know, it's likely it's going to happen to me like it happens to others. When, I, when, I, when I'm in that role, uh, it is a role, and it is also an active role, and, and I have responsibilities, and, and I ought to be accountable for certain things. And, uh, and it's when I'm being cared for and or when I'm, you know, out there uh, in the public. I, you know, when I, when I hear this, I, uh, I can't help but uh, to call out loud the perplexity that, uh, that, I, that I see around, um, around the debate over vaccination, for instance. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm struck. I'm, um, I'm confused about, um, about, um, you know, people who, uh, who will, uh, either choose, uh, you know, from, from a choice perspective, uh, not to, uh, receive the vaccine, uh, and, or, uh, to also, uh, beyond not receiving the vaccine will also refuse to wear a mask and, or will refuse to follow any of the guidance that we have and granted that the guidance i get it uh it feels like we're making it up as we go and guess what 
We are. We have been. We have been <laughs> building that plane as we've been flying. Absolutely. It. So right. So you're not telling me anything we don't know here. Uh, so and we've been saying this all along. But let's give ourselves some grace. Let's allow ourselves to to all learn together. But denying it flat flat out is I, I struggle with that. I, I struggle even more, uh, or as. Much with uh, with nurses uh, or physicians or you know healthcare providers who choose not to get vaccinated or are not sure if they're going to get vaccinated that that that's that's a struggle for me. Yeah, especially given how how well trusted nurses are in in the public's eye. Yes, you know nurses uh, nurses are the most trusted profession in the last two decades. And that's, uh, that comes with a lot of responsibilities. Uh, responsibility that I, that I do not take lightly. lightly. I, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm cognizant of that and, and I carry that uh, in my professional life as well as my personal life. You know, I chose, uh, I chose to be vaccinated as soon as I could I ended up getting vaccinated fairly early on because I uh, I opted to help out um, on uh, and 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 vaccinate others and, and helped in clinics and the like so that uh, put me in a high risk uh, situation so that's how I, I ended up uh, being able to get my vaccine sooner rather than later but here's my why I got vaccinated. Number one, because I know it's the right thing to do. And personally, I have not seen my mother and my family in over a year. My mother and my family reside in Quebec, Canada. The border has been shut for me. I've not been able to see them. My mother is 76 years old. She's healthy. She's great. We have a wonderful relationship. She's very active. But I've lost an entire year with her. So I got vaccinated because I miss her. I miss my family and I can't wait to see them. So sometimes I just feel like saying, do your part, people, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I deserve to be able to see my mom like you've seen your mom too. Do your part, abiento. There you go. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about other relationships or other situations in life where we hero worship someone or some class of person. And, you know, typically it, it can be an immature emotional relationship. And if that relationship matures, it often matures into one of mutual respect. And I'm, I'm curious if you've given any thought to what the new normal might be if our relationship with our healthcare workers goes beyond hero worship to treating you and your colleagues as partners in our healthcare and professionals who can act as advisors. What, what might that new normal look like with our relationship with, with nurses, for instance? That would be in my mind, the, um, the much healthier relationship to be seen as um, as trusted professional um, 
as opposed to heroes. And I, I like, like the way you phrase that. Uh, and in those circumstances, I, I'm then valued for the subject matter expertise that I bring uh, mm-hmm. to the conversation, the knowledge, uh, the science. The experience. All, the experience and, and, and the how. Right. The, you know, nurses are known, the, the nurses who do what they do well. So they bring all that expertise and knowledge uh, and practice and and make it make it feel like it just comes naturally. And it's through empathy and compassion. And meanwhile, you know, the rest is the rest is just background. But that uh, that that trusting uh, relationship that I'm I, that uh, I, I come with the subject matter expertise that I bring to you as a uh, as an individual and this is what differentiate I believe nurses uh, as other professions for instance uh, you know our approach is all about whole person care uh, so uh, although you may come with a very specific need you voice a very specific need. I'll be searching for more because likely there's other dots that we need to connect together. And looking at you, uh, looking at uh, those we care for as whole person really allows us to be uh, way much more effective in, in what we do. So I'm, I'm looking forward to people uh, continuing recognizing that uh, and trusting that we are uh, in trusting our profession and trusting us because of that expertise that we bring. Talking with Syl Trepanier today, Chief Nursing Officer for Providence. We're talking about nursing and the pandemic and self-care. Syl, National Nurses Week just ended and the WHO has extended their observance of the year of the nurse and midwife um, because of the pandemic. I'm curious what your messaging was to your colleagues at Providence. We reminded ourselves that uh, nurses are the backbone. We are the backbone of our healthcare system. Uh, We reminded ourselves, uh, like you and I just talked about, that we are the most trusted profession and and uh, this comes with a lot of responsibility, so we need not to take this lightly. Uh, we also uh, reminded ourselves that um, you know the nurses at Providence are really super unique, and uh, I spent a fair amount of time uh, thanking them uh, for uh, all the work that they do day in and day out, and and recognize that they are tired. Uh, and exhausted. We celebrated. Uh, we celebrated um, many nurses across the entire continuum and uh, recognizing for their uh, immense contribution to the communities that we, that, uh, we serve. Uh, because of those nurses, uh, those communities are safer to where they receive care. It was absolutely amazing. I told you that we had way over 500 nurses who were nominated uh, for these uh, 15 awards. Uh, That's pretty exciting. Great stories. Uh, I have enough material to write a pretty, uh, pretty thick book (laughs) 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 at this, uh, at this point in time. You know, the other thing that we reminded ourselves is that, um, you know, we're here together to listen to and to find solution to decrease the, the burden of them feeling so burnt out uh, and, uh, and a commitment 
to uh, to figure out solutions together. So we were very uh, deliberate about that, and we celebrated. Um, it's uh, it's been uh, it's always fun uh, to be able to take time, reflect on our respective practice, uh, celebrate, and uh, plan for future development. You know, as nurses, we understand that uh, when we joined this noble, amazing profession, that we joined a lifelong learning journey. And, uh, and we also uh, participated in ongoing further education during that, uh, that entire week. Syl, so the last time you were on the podcast, you talked about your own origin story, uh, how your nursing vocation began with your father's illness and how it awakened something, uh, a caring in you. And it's got me thinking about young people and about nursing's outreach to young people. Is there enough of that going on? Probably not. You know, and, and, and that's in my own small space. So uh, I'm hopeful that some of my, that more of my colleagues are doing it than I'm aware of. So that's, that's the hopeful statement. Uh, but I'll say that we probably could do a little bit more than that. You know, I appreciate you. Uh, first of all, you have really good good memory, by the way. I'm reminded um, I was a system chief nurse in a, a smaller healthcare system in Dayton, Ohio, a few years ago, and uh, we developed this outreach in uh, middle school, going to talking to uh, in STEM school uh, program to talk to uh, students about what it's like to be uh, a nurse as a male nurse, uh, for, if, if anything. Uh, and uh, it was really cool to be able to, uh, to talk to these kids and, um, and realizing um, how, uh, how much they don't know <laughs> about, about nurses, how, how much they, uh, and, and, and to that end, I thought, well, that means that they're parents probably don't know much about what nurses can do, I guess. Um, and, and there's not a lot of influence, uh, perhaps in books or TVs or, or the likes to influence people of what, what can it, you know, the, the importance of being a nurse and what can you do as being a nurse. So I really, uh, I appreciated that. And so much so that uh, we just recently engaged in some conversation internally to see how we can, uh, uh, do this uh, type of work at, uh, at Providence. We do this, uh, I did this when I was in the Southern California market uh, last year, uh, visited with, uh, with high school uh, students mm -hmm. uh, and talk about uh, the role of a nurse. Uh, and, uh, and I believe that we need to go a little bit deeper. I bet that was fun. I bet it was um, heartening. Oh, a lot, a lot. It's, um, well, if anything, uh, if anything, personally, it, uh, it allows for, uh, for important reflection time. Mm -hmm. You know, reflection is, is, is very important. I, I, I believe in that. So there's that. And I, I, I know that somehow, somewhere, uh, I could see in the eyes of those I was talking to that, uh, 
I got people uh, intrigued yeah. uh, about what it means to be a nurse in a way that uh, they weren't at the beginning of the conversation, but I could see it in their eyes. It was very different at the end. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah. I appreciate um, the kind words about my memory. Sometimes I wonder about my memory, but <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I'll just say that the reason I remember that is because it was part of a story that you told. And it really is at the root of this podcast and of the Hear Me Now oral history project is the importance of storytelling. That we really do believe that there is a a role for the storyteller in healthcare. There can be good outcomes in these stories. Absolutely. I've grown to appreciate, uh, appreciate that uh, much more so. I, I have the privilege of spending time with aspiring chief nursing officer and, and, uh, and I mentor and coach uh, nurse leaders uh, across, across the nation. And, uh, and I've come to appreciate uh, that talking about a concept it doesn't go as far as telling a story about how I achieved uh, XYZ or how I struggle with XYZ. And, uh, and, and, and through that storytelling, uh, you could see the, the concept can then be assimilated much better for sure. Yeah. And, and just neurologically, it's the way our brain works. We're, we're wired to remember the story. And uh, then we fill in the details afterwards. Sil, as always, it's a real pleasure to, to chat with you, and I'm grateful for you taking the time to, to talk with us again. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for the invitation. I look forward to the, uh, to the next time, and thank you for, uh, for featuring our profession and, and, for, and for taking such interest in, uh, in nurses, and uh, that in itself means a lot to me. Absolutely, and I hope you get to see your mom soon. Thank you. Siltra Panier is the Chief Nursing Officer for Providence St. Joseph Health. He spoke with us from Renton, Washington. For caregiver resources, visit the Providence website at providence.org. Scroll to the bottom and look for the link for caregivers under resources. The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring. Follow us on Twitter, where we're human underscore caring. The podcast is produced by Scott Acord and Melody Fawcett. The executive producer is Mike Drummond. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. We have research help from medical librarians Heather Martin, Seema Bakta, Sarah Viscuso, and Amanda Schwartz. Subscribe where you get your podcasts, please, please, please. And we're grateful for any social media love you can send our way. I'm Sean Collins. Be well. <laughs>